This Wellness Coach Podcast is brought to you by a brand new Facebook group called The Wellness Couch Tribe. Come join us and chat about any episode at any time. Keep up to date with all our events and connect with a like-minded group of wellness enthusiasts. To join The Wellness Couch Tribe, simply search for The Wellness Couch Tribe on Facebook. I am so excited to invite you to one of the biggest online autism events for 2019, the Autism Summit. You'll find it at autismsummit.com.au. Many people still think that routine is where you want to go. It's not. You stay with the same thing and do it over and over again. You do not progress. Talk to adults with autism and I say, okay, guys, what are your greatest challenges? Is it the sensory? Is it the social? Is it getting a job or a relationship? And they nearly always say, no, it's none of those, Tony. It's managing my anxiety. The behaviour is always, always a byproduct of what is going on in the brain. So if the child is dysregulated, it tells us something about their brain. It doesn't tell us that we need to help them manage their behaviours. The differences between autistic and non-autistic communication are significant. And I always say there's a different language. I say there's a, a cultural difference more than anything else. So it's not that we're doing anything wrong, but we do do things differently. And to understand that is really important. Their social skills don't have to be neatly wrapped up by 18. That's, that's not real. Sometimes this area is about expectations. We're not trying to create social butterflies. We're trying to create people who have some confidence. I now insist that it be done the other way around. You interview the principal. What will you do in this scenario? What's the support look like? Because the funding exists, they do access it, and it needs to be funneled or channeled towards your child. But if we've got stuff happening in our gut and it's affecting our brain through those toxins, we can't work on our language and we can't work on our social skills. Everyone needs to either avoid processed food or learn how to read the new deliberately confusing food labels that are changing all the time. Firstly, tolerate the food and then be able to interact with it, which might mean poking it with a fork or touching it with another food. Welcome to the Online Autism Summit. I am so glad you're here. Whether you're new to the world of autism or if you've been here for a little while now, we have so much for you to explore. You'll need to get out your calendars and mark it in there straight away because it will be live streaming and free to access from the 1st to the 5th of April. And if you don't know already, this will be during Autism Awareness Week. Now, I have gathered together 20 leading world experts, extraordinary parents, as well as people on the spectrum. And we cover a whole range of topics that are relevant to every child with autism, including behaviours, anxiety, sensory processing, diet and lifestyle. We look at school and homeschooling, employment, and different kinds of therapy and really just so much more. It is this beautiful space where people are coming together with different perspectives and sharing their knowledge and their stories. And you will leave feeling absolutely empowered and inspired. Now you do have the option of being able to purchase lifetime access to these 20 interviews at really cheap early bird prices. So that is if you purchase before April. 
When you purchase this summit, you're able to pause and take notes, you can rewind, and you can watch the interviews in your own time. You also get access to special NDIS interviews that you can't watch during the free um, during the free summit period. Now, if you are listening to this podcast sometime in the future, don't stress. The Autism Summit will continue to live on and be available at autismsummit.com.au. I cannot wait to see you there. Please check it out. Head over, have a look at the welcome video that we've created. It is amazing and it just really sums up what we're trying to do and that is really bring this autism community together. So autismsummit.com.au. Welcome to Homebase Hope, all about autism, the show that invites you to think differently, inspires you to take a whole child approach, and most of all, instills hope when it comes to your child and autism. I'm your host, Rhiannon Crisp from homebasehope.com.au. Let's get into it. Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of Homebase Hope. Today, we are going to be delving into what school life is like for kids with autism. So this will be a fantastic episode to share with your child's classroom teacher to give them a little bit of an insight into what it's like to be autistic and some of the challenges that might pop up in the school environment. I am super excited to be speaking to the bright and bubbly Chloe Hayden, but you may also know her as Princess Aspen. Chloe is a 21-year-old girl with Asperger's syndrome. She struggled throughout her childhood and early teenage years feeling outcast and unable to connect with anyone. She suffered relentless bullying at school, which landed her in in hospital. When Chloe was 18, she came to the realization that she wasn't the only child that had gone under similar experiences. So Chloe decided to take charge of the situation and began her tireless work advocating for kids on the spectrum. She now dedicates her time to tackling the harder-pressed issues of living with autism through interactive, fun videos, which she posts on YouTube, while keeping it super fun, encouraging, and entertaining for her younger audience. Welcome, Chloe. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, Absolute pleasure. Now, at the start of every episode, Chloe, we like to rewind the clock a little bit, so I would love to go back to what life was like when you were growing up, particularly at school and what school life was like for you? Okay. Um, so my home life was amazing. Like I had the coolest parents and I had, we lived in a farm and I had the coolest animals and everything. Um, and I guess looking at it from that perspective, you would have seen me and you'd be like, wow, this kid's like really lucky. She's got like the coolest life. And I did. And I was, but when I was at school, all of that changed and none of that mattered because I felt like this trapped scared little lion cub or like the antelope that the lion cubs would eat I was so scared of everything school life was awful um I was bullied relentlessly I wasn't understood by my peers or my teachers going to school literally felt like I was trapped and it was the worst feeling ever Mm. is this how you felt all the time was this primary school and high school what what was it like yeah, 100%. I, I think in primary school, not as much because I think when kids 
our kids, you're allowed a little bit of leeway. You're allowed to be different. You're allowed to be a little bit quirky because that's just the way that kids are. So I didn't really stick out as much. I wasn't really considered weird or odd or bizarre because every kid is weird. Um, And then when I got into year seven, we lived in a beach town and this beach town was the sort of town where every single girl was like this skinny girl with long blonde hair and tan skin and blue eyes and like this beautiful person. And I was so intimidated by that. And I feel like girls in particular, when they see someone that is different to them, they don't like it. Um, And I was that different person. And back then I had convinced myself that different was bad and different was less. Um, So yeah, it was kind of all throughout my school life, but definitely more through in high school. Mm. Do you have any positive memories from school? Are there any times where you just felt like you did fit in or you did connect with other kids in your class? Um, Definitely no times with my um, peers, but I do remember I had a teacher in grade four and she was the only teacher I ever had throughout all the schools I went to and through all the years that I was in school that I felt like she understood me. Um, And I didn't have a diagnosis then. So there was no, oh, like I'm going to like look after her because she's autistic. Like, she, she was just, she, she looked out for me and she understood the way that I worked. And that was the one teacher that I had that ever made me feel like, okay, maybe I'm not so bad or okay, maybe this isn't awful. Um, but other than that, no. (laughs) Mm. And I can imagine this would be extremely challenging because as a young person growing up and still starting to understand the world around you and understand yourself and where you fit in, it is hard and, you know, if you don't have that backup and that support there with you, life can get quite lonely. Absolutely, yeah. And the thing is, like, I did have, like, my parents and I had my mum who was so supportive and um, I, I had all of that. But as a kid, you need someone, you need something to feel like it's your own rather than just your family. Um, and I didn't have that. So, yeah, it was, it was a really scary, really lonely time. So when were you diagnosed? Uh, I was diagnosed when I was 13, um, so halfway through year eight. Okay. And you said that you went through numerous different schools. Was this through high school or primary school or both? Um, Both. So um, occasionally it was because we had just moved town and moved house or whatever, Um, but the majority of the time it was because um, the school had done something or I didn't feel safe there, I didn't feel comfortable there or you know, my parents were like, like, okay, we'll, we'll find another school that works. Um, and we literally ended up trying every single school in the district for every single town we ever lived in. And, and none of them worked. We tried like really big fancy schools that had like thousands of students. And we tried a school that had like 50 students at it and we tried everything in between and they were all just as bad as each other. Mm. What made it so bad? What was so hard? Um, was it something that the school wasn't being able to support you with or was it something else internally that was going on? Um, I think a little bit of both. I guess um, especially before I was diagnosed, I was just that weird kid um, and there was no explanation for it. And then the things that um, I needed help with that um, say a lot of neurotypical people might not need help with, like the way that something's explained or that the lights in the room are hurting or that, you know, this or that that wasn't getting through because they didn't understand why I would have needed it in the first place. Um, And I guess just overall, just a lack of understanding. Mm. Were you able or was your mum able to articulate these challenges to the schools? 
Um, did you know, yeah, did you know what your challenges were? Were you able to tell your mum this and was she able to pass on that information? Kind of, but at, at the same time, a lot of it not as much. Um, I think a lot of it, like mum and dad have always known I was like a bit quirky, but I was their first kid. So they always said, oh, you know, Chloe's just our quirky little kid. Like they were, And it, there was never a bad reasoning for it. There was never like, oh, she's weird or oh, she's like, bad different it's just like she's just a bit quirky that's fine every kid's quirky whatever um but obviously in school and obviously um a lot of times that you know quirk isn't it deems as good and isn't deemed um you know it's not it doesn't help um and there's a lot of things that teachers will ask you to do or that a teacher will explain that I couldn't understand simply because it wasn't explained to me in a way that my brain was able to comprehend it um so yeah I think there's a lot of times where things didn't get through and stuff. And mum did try to to go, hey, like, this is what she needs. But it's hard to say that when there's no reasoning behind it. Like, the teachers would always be like, oh, well, she's just, um, you know, doing this on purpose or she's just doing this to, to act out or whatever when I wasn't. I genuinely needed it. But there was no reasoning behind it. Mm. So you said you got diagnosed at age 13. And I do know that your mum went on to homeschool you. Was this before or after the diagnosis? Um, pretty much the day of the diagnosis. Okay. So can you tell us a bit about how all this panned out? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it was midway through year eight and my teacher called my parents in for um, an emergency meeting and she was talking to them. I wasn't in the meeting, so I don't know word for word what happened. But basically from what I, I know, the teacher was um, talking to mum and dad and being like, hey, we need to talk about Chloe she's disorganized she's not doing her work properly um, about all of these different things um and it was after a little bit of discussing that um the teacher recommended that mum and dad go see um someone to give me the diagnosis in the first place so we went pretty much the day after I think and within like pretty much as soon as testing begun I I got the diagnosis like they were like yeah she's autistic and at the start, I remember we went back into the car and mum literally broke down crying. Like, and I was so scared because when you're 13, if you see one of your parents cry, you're like, that's bad because parents are meant to like be brave. And when you see a parent crying about something about you, it's really scary. Um, and like, she explained it all to me and stuff. And I, I didn't understand what it was. I thought she said that I had asparagus. Um, and I didn't know what that meant, but after like, it pretty much died down by the next day. And we were like, right, let's just work on, on what this means now. Um, and I got pulled out of school that day because um, the psychologist said if, like, pretty much if you don't pull her out now, she, you might not have her for much longer. Um, so I got pulled out of school that day and I didn't even go back to get my books. Like my dad did that and everything. And on that day, I finally felt like I was myself again and I hadn't felt my, like myself since I was a kid. Um, for the first time in my life, I didn't feel trapped not being at school and not having to continuously focus on the lights and the sounds and people talking and not having to focus on acting normal and trying to fit in and just being able to focus on being me. I began to discover who me actually was. And that's when I began to write my blog and like really begin all of this. So yeah, it was kind of the start of a lot and the end of a lot. Mm, amazing. Can you tell us about the homeschooling and what that was like for you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I was homeschooled through Distance Education Centre, which is um, they, they follow the exact same um, outline as a 
public mainstream school do. Um, and you have teachers still, you just do it inside your own home and the teachers talk to you via phone or if you had, like I had such severe phone anxiety, so I couldn't do that. And they're like, that's fine. We'll just do it through email or like your mum can correspond with us or whatever. Um, and work-wise, it was brilliant. I was able to, subjects that I really struggled with, they were like, yeah, that's fine. We'll help you with it. Um, and subjects which like, for example, with history and stuff, I could never focus on it probably because it wasn't something I was interested in. It was about, I don't know, Australian history or whatever, for example. And I was like, I can't do this. I'm not interested in it. I don't care about it. So like, that's fine. What do you like? And at this time I was like, my obsession was the Titanic. So like, right, write an essay about the Titanic. Um, so I was nurtured and my interests and my strengths were nurtured rather than you can't do this, do it anyway. Um, and I was like, I was home and I was in a place where I felt comfortable with around people that I felt comfortable with. And because I wasn't being forced to socialize in an environment, which hurt me, I began to actually socialize more in, in my own time and in my own way, um, which I thought that I would never do. And being homeschooled within the first couple of months, I was already feeling like an entirely different person. That's incredible how quickly that change can take place considering you came from such a um, really depressed state where you had zero friends at school um, and life was really challenging and lonely to all of a sudden you said like the first day that you were homeschooled, it was just a new, a new chapter and everything started to change. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, what some parents do have some challenges getting their head around, I suppose, is if they homeschool their child, then they won't have that social interaction. Yeah. Um, and that is one of the fears, I suppose, that's holding them back. Can you tell us about how you, um, how you explored, you know, that social scene still, um, but without those negative connotations around them? Yeah, absolutely. So that's, and that's like, I speak it, you know, with parents and stuff all the time. And that's literally the first thing every single parent says to me is, oh, well, my kid is already unsocial enough. Imagine if the homeschooled, the sort of social interaction we're having at school is not healthy. The sort of social interaction that we have at school is not beneficial to us. And it will only bring us further down. If you nurture us and you love us and you put us into the things that we are good at, then we'll socialize in our own accord. As soon as I was put out of school, I started doing pony club and I went to church and I went out surfing with my friends and I actually had friends and that's something that I haven't had freaking ever. And I actually had people that were like, uh, you know, when I think, especially on the spectrum, um, if you have a big school with however many kids in it, there is literally no similarity between any of them, except that they all have to go to school. If I was doing pony club, I was able to interact with people because I'm like, I know how to talk to you because you like horses. If I went surfing with people, we'd be like, I know how to talk to you because we both like surfing. If I went to church, it'd be like, we, I, you know, like every single thing, you had a reasoning for being their friend. And that's, a, I think it's on the spectrum, especially that's what you need. You need a reasoning behind the friendship. You need something to make you have that common ground so you don't feel so awkward and unsafe in the first place. Um, so yeah, um, not homeschooling simply for the social aspect. It's probably the most backwards thing that you could, you know, think. <laughs> I love that. And I love how you explained that as well. Um, when do you think homeschooling should be explored as an option for kids? When the child is, is suffering at school and when you have pulled every stop and, and still nothing is happening. Um, and I know that it's, not necessarily an easy option for everyone. I had, um, like my dad works full time, but my mum was studying. So she was able to, um, 
but I, I know that it's a hard option for people. Um, but sometimes like in my case, and especially now when we haven't got schools, which are specified for kids that are high functioning, um, and that we have teachers, which don't necessarily care about high functioning kids as much as they should. Um, for me and for my safety, um, it was the only option. Okay. If you could travel back in time, what do you wish your teachers knew about you? Um, I think... I mean, I don't even know where to start with that because literally I I can't think of a single thing that any of those teachers did right. And I know that's such a harsh thing to say about, uh, you know, every single teacher from the age of, you know, kindergarten onwards. Um, and like I've done an entire blog post about this, um, which goes into a lot more depth, obviously, than, than what I will now. Um, but I think the bottom line is just understand um, and be kind and understand that, not every single kid's mind is going to work the same because not every single adult's mind is going to work the same and trying to force us into a box and trying to force us into learning a certain way and doing things a certain way. There's going to be kids that are left out and there's going to be kids which, which don't meet that criteria. And I was that kid and it, it wasn't good and it it hurt a lot. Um, and yeah, I think overall teachers just need to understand that I, I know your job is hard and I know you have like what 20 to 30 kids in a classroom, but look out for us, understand us. If you know, just, yeah, it's, I feel like it's not that hard. Just, you know, be a bit more understanding. Mm, absolutely. I think empathy can go a long way. Um, and just showing that, you know, they understand. Sorry, I have got someone <laughs> next door. Can you hear that in the background? I have like cockatoo screaming at you. So <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, hopefully it doesn't come too much soon in the audio, but, um, yeah, I think the empathy is a massive thing. I think when teachers can show, you know, get down on the child's level and show that they truly um, are understanding and willing to help support them through that, you know, asking your child what do they need um, to help them can be a massive thing. Um, and there are so many different things at school and so many different triggers as well. Um, what were some of the main triggers for you? Um, I think... It- well, school itself as a whole was a trigger. Like sometimes I would, like my anxiety at the thought of school would literally peak so high that I couldn't even get out of the bed, like out of bed in the morning. I would physically make myself sick because I was so terrified about the idea of going to school for six hours. Um, I think it always felt like there was like a hurricane or like a tornado or like waves building up inside of me from like eight o'clock in the morning up until three thirty, and. I would be lucky if that stayed enough inside that no one else saw it, but there would be days where it would bubble to the point of escaping and that it might not necessarily be anything that caused it in the first place. Sometimes it was because I was getting bullied particularly badly or because a teacher was unfairly punishing me or unfairly treating me. Um, sometimes it was because I, I didn't understand the work. Um, sometimes it was just because of school full stop. Um, and I think that's a thing like school in itself without bullying, without whatever is so overwhelming. Um, especially for someone who's got ASD, it's, it's a lot to deal with. Mm. Let's explore the bullying a little bit further. Was this exclusion? Was it cyber bullying? What kinds of bullying were, um, was taking place? Uh, if there's a type of bullying, it's all of them. Like any type of bullying you can think of, it, it happens. Um, and the thing was, it wasn't just from uh, other students. It was from teachers as well. 
um, which really sucked because again, like I said before, as a kid, the adults are meant to be the ones that you look up to. The adults are meant to be the ones that protect you. And I wasn't being protected. I was being hurt by them. Um, and, uh, you know, mainly with teachers and stuff, like I, I had teachers that, um, like called me like bad names and that like, didn't let me participate in activities because of certain things. And my brother's autistic too. And he had the most awful school life that his teachers would, um, tell him he couldn't go to the, the class parties, like for literally no reason. Um, and the same thing happened to me. Like I, I wasn't allowed to join in certain activities for no reason. Um, I literally would have like during sports when we had to change in our sports uniforms, I would then have like girls stealing my clothes and like hiding them behind things. I remember in prep, my first day of school, I brought like a little teddy bear with me, which was like, which meant more to me than anything. And someone stole it out of my bag and like threw it over the school fence and the school that we lived on, that we went to school on was a, um, it had like a big like hill on it and you couldn't get over that fence that they threw it over. Um, and it was literally like, I, balled out and I still like hate thinking about that and like literally from day one to the day I left it was just relentless it was and then even when I was out of school um when I wasn't in school like at night I would like log on to like a Facebook or like whatever it was at the time and there would still be comments there um and yeah it was every single type and yeah it was really awful (laughs) I watched one of your videos that you have up on YouTube. By the way, if you haven't checked out Chloe's YouTube, go and check it out. She has so many amazing informative videos over there. Um, uh, and it was, an, it was a Q&A that you did with your mum and she did. We, you were talking a bit about school and um, she said that school was a living hell for you and that you got bullied so bad that you were crying every day in the toilet and when you got home you would cry as well. When I heard this, I felt physically sick. I got goosebumps and it honestly, it just makes you um, just, you just want to help, you know, any way you can. And obviously if school isn't the place that is going to support a child, you do need to start looking at other options because that, you know, that is not okay. We can give kids all the tools and strategies and confidence boosts in the world, but at the end of the day, if the bullying is relentless and it's continuing on, we, we've got to look outside that box and look at how else we can help. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Now, anxiety is a big one that kids will experience at school, whether it's just that initial, you know, separation anxiety, saying goodbye from mum, whether it's um, standing up and doing group projects, like you said, the sensory sensitivities um, can cause anxiety as well. So the bright fluorescent lighting, um, loud noises, school bells, all those sorts of things. Um, Can you talk us through some of the things that triggered some of those anxieties for you and delve into them a little bit just so parents and teachers can get an idea of what school life can actually be like? Because I think we need to remember that this is kids' reality. This is your reality. It's not something that you're making up and it's not something that we can just say, oh, calm down, it's okay. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, that, that is your reality. That is how you're experiencing it. And we need to come up with the strategies and look at the environment and see what we can do to help kids um, overcome these challenges. So what were some of the triggers um, of anxiety at school for you and how... Um, do you think looking back, 
or um, looking at kids who may be in that situation right now, how can parents and teachers support them? Um, again, I think uh, school itself was a big anxiety thing. Like, like I said, every single morning I, I hated school and I hated the thought of it so much that I would make myself sick um, or I would, I would fake sickness or I would, you know, do this or that just so I didn't have to go. Um, and I think when your kid is, is making themselves physically sick just so they don't have to go to school, um, that's when you know something's wrong and that's when you know that something needs to be done. Um, but throughout school and I think on a more overall basis, there is so many different things that can induce anxiety. Um, like the lights, it's like, they're so like, they're noisy. Like I know some people are just like, Oh, they're bright, but like they actually physically hurt with how loud they are. Um, so that can be a huge, huge thing. And something as simple as teachers offering, um, their students um like noise cancelling headphones if they can't because um a lot of schools are like oh no you're not allowed to have that um which i think is really stupid and you know you need to give kids what they need to be able to learn um otherwise there's no point in them being there and we deserve to be there just as much as any other kid in that classroom um i think yeah something like letting us have noise cancelling headphones um if turning the lights down is is too much of a hassle, which it shouldn't be. Um, but yeah, noise cancelling headphones and stuff like that in those cases. Um, in things like group projects, which was another thing that really caused me anxiety because I hated working in groups and I knew that I would, um, I wouldn't be graded fairly because of my own work. Cause I, I was so prideful in my work. Um, and I knew that I wouldn't be graded well because the other people would be graded on it as well. Um, or just that I had to work in a group and I had to interact with other people. I know that that's something that schools, um, you know, implement that you need to do and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I guess letting us work in groups where we feel safe with those people, um, or letting us be graded for our own work in that group, things like that. Um, and then I guess like things like, like lunchtime was something that caused a lot of anxiety too. Cause it was like, who am I going to sit with? Where am I going to be? Am I going to end up crying by the end of the lunchtime? Things like that. So I guess even like making sure that we have friends. Cause the thing is we want friends. We just really suck at making them. Um, and like helping us find a group, helping us find someone that's going to look after us and that's going to be there for us. And that's going to be our friends. Um, and overall, I guess just as a teacher, if you have a student in your classroom that does have anxiety over whatever reason it could be, understand and be gentle with them um, and know when to push to get them out of their comfort zone, but know when, to, when it's a genuine fear and a genuine worry and pushing is only going to make it worse. And, I, and sometimes it's a fine line between those two. But I think the more that you understand your student and the more they understand a diagnosis or the more they understand just being a genuine human, um, the more you'll kind of understand what those barriers are. Hmm. Did you have, um, I think you said you had challenges with auditory processing, so understanding those verbal instructions when you got them from the teacher. This is, yeah, common, very common with kids on the spectrum. Um, What are some other ways that are effective in getting the message through or getting the instruction through to kids? Um, I think, look, it's it's hard to um, to know if, if a kid has, you know, misheard your instructions and stuff without actually... Um, going up and, and checking. Um, like I remember, for example, when I was doing math, there was a question that was something along the lines of um, you're at a supermarket and you have to give and list two different ways of giving the person their change. And the answer was, I don't know, like the two fives and the seven and a three or whatever like that. And I answered it as give it to them nicely or throw wood in their face. And in my head, that was exactly what the answer was. And then, like, there was another time when I was in, like, prep or whatever and you had to put the words in alphabetical order, like, you know, apple, cat, dog or whatever. 
I would then go like for cat, I would go like ACT instead of like actually putting the word in order, I would put the letters of those words in order because when I read it, that's what it meant. And I would go back and show that to my parents and I'd be like, I got in trouble for this, but I did it as, as you know, as they were said. And once they understood my, like once they were like, oh yeah, she's autistic type of thing. Um, they, they were able to see it through my eyes and be like, actually, yeah, the way that you're reading that, the way that you heard that is exactly the way that they said it. Other people just go, oh, well, she must mean this, but I didn't understand that. So I think, um, kind of getting that point across even if if there's if there's times where it looks like we're struggling or that um we're doing it you know not the way it should be done or whatever um just keep an eye out and like check up and make sure that everything's going okay and absolutely do not get angry at us for doing the work wrong because we're not trying to be sassy and we're not trying to be sarcastic we're literally just doing it like you said um so I guess uh, being careful with the way that you phrase things and like not using metaphors or, you know, making sure that you structure your sentences properly. And then also if there are times where I just don't understand, I'm too scared to put my hand up and actually go, Hey, I don't understand because I'm being called out enough as it is. I don't want to also be called out for being dumb. So I won't put my hand up. And my brother was the same, like neither of us would ever put our hand up in school. So we just sit there and not do the work. Um, I'm, I'm friends with an autistic teacher and she what she implements in her classroom is if there's a kid that struggles with that, they'll have like a rubber on their desk or something. And if they need help, they'll move the rubber to the front of their desk. And it's something that's subtle enough that none of the other students will understand, but the teacher will be like, okay, she needs help. Um, I think just kind of, you know, being creative with it and understanding that, yeah, like, you know, our brain does work a certain way and that doesn't mean it's bad. And it doesn't mean that we're being sassy or sarcastic or trying to not follow the rules. That's just the way we work. And the more that you kind of understand that student, the more it's going to be easier to work that out. Mm. I loved so many things that you touched on then. And I think one of them was don't, you know, get angry and raise that tone of voice. Cause I think kids can really internalize that and they can take it to heart. Um, and they won't raise their hand next time or they won't do, you know, if it's, they won't attempt something in fear that they'll get the answer wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that is such an important message because I think a lot of the times too, you know, teachers, obviously, like you said, they've got so many kids in the classroom and, you know, for them, I mean, anxiety and stress levels can be increasing as well. So, um, you know, it is hard to, it's a juggling act between everything, but that is such an important point. Um, because I know, you know, kids will go home after school and that's when they let it all out. They will have, the teacher will be like, oh, they've had a fine day. It's been great. You know, no meltdowns, nothing's gone on at school. They've been fine. And they get home or in the car and that's just when they lose it. And, and mum's like, mum and dad are like, what's wrong? You know, what's happened? Um, and that's when it all comes out. And I find particularly at bedtime too, that's when it's quiet and calm and, and kids will start to open up when there's that, when they're in that safe space and that safe environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's look at how can teachers unlock a child's potential? Because you were talking a little bit before about using a strengths-based approach with kids on the spectrum how can teachers do this um i think overall this is a message that i that i promote a lot is just understand that our differences don't make us less um in an adult workplace no two adults think the same act the same learn the same way or have the same job any of that so it's beyond my comprehension that kids are meant to um so i think overall understand that we we might have a different set of, of talents and we might have weaknesses which 
are different to other kids in that room's weaknesses. And that's okay because that's what being a human is. Um, I think, yeah, just understanding what our strengths are and working with our strengths and, and making sure that we don't feel bad for having those strengths and we don't feel bad for having certain weaknesses because it's okay because everyone's different and that's what makes the world so beautiful in the first place. Mm, absolutely. I love that. And, and it is, it's tapping into the interests and using them as motivational tools mm-hmm. and understanding that learning style, like how is this child able to learn? You know, if it's not auditory, can we write things on the board so they can better understand it or have a worksheet um, that they might be able to refer to that's easier because sometimes it you know it goes in one ear out the other and there's no processing in between Uh, yeah yeah for sure yeah okay was there anything else you wanted to touch on or mention in terms of um, kids at school and how they can cope or any message for the teachers before we hop into the five rapid fire questions um, I don't think so. I think that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. We have covered a lot. Okay. So five rapid fire questions. Number one, what is one habit that teachers can implement today? Um, understanding that different doesn't mean less and, and going with that. Awesome. Number two, what do people never ask you that you wish they did? Oh gosh. Um, I don't know. Okay. I don't think I can think of an answer for that one. Um, I guess maybe I guess, when I was in school, I guess, um, the, the answer would, would just be make sure I'm okay because a lot of times kids are suffering and they're too scared to speak up unless someone does it for them. So I guess if I'm struggling or you see another kid that's struggling, ask because we're not going to come out with it ourselves. Love it. <laughs> Number three, what book, what book would you recommend all teachers read? Um, I would say uh, things something like All Cats Have Asperger's, which is um, a, a book that's made for kids on the spectrum. But because of that, it will probably also help teachers understand it in a in a easy blank way. Um, and then another thing is just read blog posts or watch YouTube videos from people that are on the spectrum that have been there because you can only learn so much from a textbook that's been written by professionals. You can learn so much more from someone that's actually experiencing it. Yeah, absolutely. The lived experience is very, very valuable. Okay, number four, what is your top unfinished bucket list item? Um, I would say that um, I compete in something called Extreme Cowboys and um, my dream since I've been doing that sport is to compete in America, which I'm actually doing at the end of this year. So um, that's going to be completed soon, so that's cool. Can we just explore that? What is Extreme Cowboys? (laughs) Okay, so So it's basically, imagine like an agility trial that you do with dogs, but you're doing it on top of like a 600 kilo animal. So it's it's a like mix between like um it's all these different western events so people that don't know about horses it's like you know the rodeo stuff um like mixed with like dressage or like reining or all these different you know fancy horse events um but it's basically an obstacle course on horses so there's like bridges and seesaws um in the championships in america a few years ago there was like a, a jump made out of fire um like it's cool like it's wicked it's a really fun event so yeah i'm competing in that this year which is cool <laughs> oh excellent wow all the best good luck oh, <laughs> <laughs> and number five if you could only offer one piece of advice to the teachers what would it be focus on our strengths not our weaknesses and understand that different has never meant less and it never will excellent what is the best way for people to find out more about you, Chloe? Um, probably on YouTube, Facebook, probably, I guess they're the best ones. Um, my 
Um, username is Princess Aspin on every single social media platform, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I think they're the main ones. Um, yeah, I guess that's the main places that you can find stuff. Um, yeah. Awesome. Yes, definitely head over, check it out. Thank you so much, Chloe, for joining us on the Home Base Hope podcast. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Amazing. Thank you. Have an amazing day. Thank you. You too. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in today. I really hope that parts of the episode resonated with you, but more importantly, I hope that you feel inspired to take action from home base. If there is someone who you know who would benefit from this podcast, please share it with them. Now, I love connecting with you all, so if you head on over to Facebook and Instagram, you can find me there. All you have to do is search Home Base Hope. Now, if you subscribe to this podcast by heading to iTunes and hitting the subscribe button, every fortnight you will get an instant notification of the latest interview. And if you do love the show, then please leave a five-star review because this will help more people discover us and it will help us inspire more positive change in people living on the spectrum. So until next time, I encourage you to open your mind, respect the differences, and above all, believe that you can make a difference from home base. See you soon, guys. We hope you enjoyed this Wellness Couch podcast. Did you know we've launched a brand new Facebook group where you can chat about any podcast you like with a tribe of like-minded people? The group is called the Wellness Couch Tribe and it's an inspirational digital meeting place to connect you to like-minded wellness lovers just like you. To locate it and come join us, simply search for the Wellness Couch Tribe wherever you enjoy Facebook. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.